0: may be seated for a moment. I don't know how long. We'll see. This has just come to me. I don't even know why I'm saying this. Honestly, I don't. The Holy Ghost has been resisting in the Spirit all week. Some very, well, it's a There's been a very specific line drawn by the Holy Ghost in this meeting. And I said, by the Holy Ghost. Evangelicals and Pentecostals plant churches. Apostolics don't plant churches. Apostolics do what Jesus did. Apostolic plants, ministers, except a grain of wheat fall in the ground and die. It abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. That's not... Talking about a church. It's talking about planting preachers. Prophet of God said to me as a very young man, he said, Brother Wright, building a church is easy for God. That's not even a problem for him. He's the church builder. But he will spend the majority of your life, if not all of it, trying to build a preacher. trying to grow a preacher trying to develop a ministry that will please him and he said to me was one of the first times it had been said you will never see the church here that you have in your spirit to see until you as the grain of wheat die but it's not just the preacher because Jesus said specifically in the parable of the wheat and the tares the good seed are the children of God and the bad seed are tares sown by the devil and except a grain of wheat fat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. So it's not just the preacher that's got to fall on the ground and die. It's every good seed, children of God. That's how God builds a church. He's the church builder. He builds it upon the death of self of every preacher and true child of God that's a part of that church our flesh fights to live and maintain the control and do its own thing but the spirit of God is calling us to die to self die and Paul said I die daily so it's really not one major event. It, is, it may be a major event that turns the corner for you like it did me on the first Friday night of August 2003. It may be. It may be. But even though I knew that day for the first time in my life and I was 57 years old and had the Holy Ghost 35 years for the first time in my life I knew I was crucified with Christ but you hear me if I don't maintain that every day every morning this flesh wants to do its own resurrection and will do so And Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. But then he also said, I die daily. And Jesus said, if any man will be my disciple. I've quoted this already this week, but here it goes again. If any man will be my disciple, let him deny himself. And the Greek word there doesn't mean to say no to self. It means to disavow ownership of yourself. Take up your cross. Luke says it this way. Take up your cross daily. Luke is the only gospel that adds the word daily. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So if I'm walking around throughout my day, my week, isn't that amazing? Don't we love that pronoun? My week, my day, my life, and I don't have his cross that I'm carrying he said you're not my disciple to be his disciple I must disavow ownership of myself take up my cross daily my cross is different than your cross He specifically designed each of our crosses to fit so that it comes against those very parts of our individual personal nature that wants to live and stay in control and wants to do its own will and not God. And your cross is not the same as my cross. It's my cross, not his cross, my cross. I disavow ownership of me. Take up my cross daily and follow him. One more time. Your cross isn't my cross. God knows exactly what has to go on in my daily life to keep me reminded that it's about him not me it's about his will not mine it's about his way not mine those of you that were here today if you've ever wondered in the back of your mind or more if this stuff about following the Holy Ghost just getting in the flow is just verbiage for me. You had a demonstration today that I really am only following a step at a time because the way that service ended up, I had no idea what was going there. And this is the seventh session of this time together. And I have not known one moment where we were going to be two steps from now. Not one time. Not one session in all of these. I have not known. There have been sessions that I had some idea of where he was going to get to at some point in all of that. And sometimes it happened. And I've been very transparent with that. And sometimes it didn't. And I've been transparent with that. But today, my And after it, the travail lifted, even though the spirit didn't lift, and you all knew that, nobody was leaving. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, if I don't leave, they're going to still be here church time tonight. Not because anybody felt was afraid to leave, but we were all afraid to leave. There was such a holy atmosphere in this place this afternoon. It was absolutely amazing. But I was sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, well, Lord, you really maneuvered me into that one. I never saw that coming at all. But truly, your ways are higher than our ways. And your thoughts are truly higher than our thoughts. why am I talking about this cross business? Because in the harvest the focus of tonight is the most neglected part of all of it. Some churches and peoples actually do seasons of prayer and repentance and rededication and commitment so that the rain of God's blessing will fall. Some churches actually do spiritual warfare and plow. Some churches actually do biblical seed sowing. There are some, even more today than ever, who have learned to pray like Jesus taught by speaking rather than asking. But there's just not very many of us that understand or participate in travail. And we wonder why there is not more results. The Lord said, I've brought to the birth, but they didn't have strength to deliver. I brought him to the birth, but they didn't have strength to deliver. Now, that's a wonderful thing for me human perspective and a husband perspective it's a wonderful thing that the death rate among those precious ladies during delivery has plummeted from what it was even 50 years 60 years 100 years 200 years ago because there was always a mixed joy in knowing that your wife and her knowing that she was going to have a baby Because it was not a rare thing at all for a woman to die in childbirth. With our sons are nine years apart, with the eldest, they hadn't started allowing husbands to be in the labor room. I guess they didn't think we had the stomach for it. But when my mother-in-law and I took my wife to the Naval Academy Hospital out here and uh, they checked her out they didn't send her home but they just said she wasn't far enough along and that it would be many hours before she birthed and so They let her lay out in the waiting room with us for four hours of labor with her head laying on a couch, her head laying on my leg and and this going on. And about, I think it was about 6.30 in the morning they decided, Mrs. Wright, just come on back and let us check you out, see how you do it. She didn't come back, but in about a half hour, 45 minutes, the doctor came out and said, Well, you've got a boy. And I'm thinking to myself, you let my wife lay out here in this waiting room, unattended all this time, till she was in less than an hour from delivery. And they said to her, Mrs. Wright, you need to be really careful if you have any more children because you're born to have babies and uh, you birth them really easy. I don't know what they call easy. I'm the one sitting there watching her go through this pain. Imagine, I can't even imagine. I have no male ability to conceive of what she's feeling. I have no capacity for it. I'm I'm willing to admit that. I have no point of reference to understand what she's going through. And there was something that happened in that birth that uh, messed up some stuff and it's really her business and I don't tell her business too much. I always hear about it when I tell her business but... It's fun anyway. So they told her after David's birth that she would never have any more children. And uh, it was looking that way. Nine years of trying. No baby. But around... uh, The last couple of weeks of December of 1979, she got some kind of flu. It wasn't a three-day flu. It wasn't a seven-day flu. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I remember the last time she was sick like this. And I said to her, I think you're expecting... Oh, no way, no way, no way. There's no way. So I said, okay. Well, she kept being sick. And I said, now, you're going to get a appointment with the doctor go find out what's going on here. And uh, this was about the middle of January or so. And I said, uh, so she went to the hospital, the doctor. That was back when she wanted to do all that stuff by herself. She didn't want me in the room. Okay. So I went to church to pray. And I'm just praying. I'm minding my own business. Just praying. And this voice said to me, Why don't you ask me if your wife is expecting? And I laughed and said, She's at the doctor. We're going to find out in just a little while. He said, I said, ask me if your wife is expecting. And I laughed and said, okay, okay. Is my wife going to have a baby? And that voice said, she's going to have a baby. It's going to be a boy. His name's going to be Joel. Joel. It's going to be a sign to this church of the outpour of the Spirit I'm going to give. I went, whoa. Whoa. Well, that was back when there were party lines, you know. And we had a phone at the house that the extension was at the church because it was cheaper. Trust me. I heard it ring, and I knew it was the doctor's office. So I went, Nick in there and I quietly picked it up and listened and the nurse said Mrs. Wright I'm really sorry to tell you but uh, the test says you're not pregnant and when she hung up I put that phone down and I went back to prayer and I said wait a minute now wait a minute I thought you said she was expecting is my wife going to have a baby Same voice. Your wife's going to have a baby. It's going to be a boy. His name's going to be Joel. It's going to be a sign to the church concerning the outpouring of the Spirit I'm going to give. Okay. I go home and tell her what the Lord said. Well, you know, ladies can be sometimes very practical. And mine said, well, the doctor just, doctor's office just called and said, I'm not. And I said, Well, I don't care what the doctor just said. I know the voice of the Lord and I know what he just said. She said, oh, well, whatever. Well, she still had the flu. It's going on six weeks. I haven't told the story and I don't know when. But the doctor told her. If you're still having these problems a couple of weeks, you need to come back. And so, it was like two or three weeks, and she went back. When she went to the doctor's office, I went to the church, and I wasn't waiting this time. I said, Is my wife going to have a baby? That same voice said, Your wife's going to have a baby, it's going to be a boy. His name's going to be Joel. It's going to be a sign to the church concerning the outpouring of the spirit that I'm going to give. Okay. I'm all ready for the good news when, she gets, when I get home. I'm all ready for the doctor to finally catch up with Jesus. And I got home and I said, well, what did he say? She said, he did a visual examination of the inside of my womb. And said, I'm not only not pregnant, it's impossible for me to get pregnant. And I said to her, that is one doctor that doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. Because I asked that question today, and God gave me the same answer. Well, all I know is what the doctor said. I said, and all I know is what Jesus said. So we'll see who wins this one. About a month later, I'd take it all I could, so, without asking, I went by the drugstore since the doctor couldn't get it right, we were going to see how this would work. This is the part she hates me telling it. I'm not a woman, so I can't understand why, but anyway, I just have to be in trouble when I get home for the umpteenth time because I tell this every time, so whatever. So I brought her home and showed it to her, and oh, she was unhappy about that. But finally, she acquiesced because I can be persuasive if I need to be. And so she did, and guess what? That little test we did said she was going to have a baby. I said, you make an appointment tomorrow with the doctor. No, I'm waiting a couple of weeks. Okay, you wait a couple of weeks. So she went back a couple of weeks and the doctor finally caught up with Jesus. Well, I went to the church and some of you have to be old enough to know this. I don't know if I'd even, even ever heard this before and I'm not even sure I can explain it, but everybody there knew it. So I just got up in church and said, the rabbit died. You heard that before? Yeah. Well I'd never heard of it before but somebody told me that years ago in order to test to see whether or not a woman was pregnant they injected something I don't know from the woman in the rabbit and if she was pregnant the rabbit would die. So in my twisted sense of humor that's how I announced to the church that my wife was about to have another baby. The rabbits died. And it was this pause while everybody's saying, kind of get the interpretation of that. And then there was this excitement because we were going to have a baby. And uh, within two weeks of that confirmation from the doctor, we started a revival. There went 11 weeks, five nights a week, five services a week, and we prayed through 405 people. And baptized 397. And at the beginning of that revival, there was only about 125 of us men, women, and children. Well, she and I don't agree on this part of the story. I thought she was two weeks late. I think she told me she was three weeks late, whatever. He was supposed to be born, I thought it was the last week of August and whatever. Whenever he was supposed to be born. But he was late. And she was huge. Huge. With David, she didn't wear maternity clothes till she was eight months. I got pictures. With Joel, she was married, wearing maternity clothes before she got, I'm just kidding she didn't start till after the doctor, but it seemed like it was pretty quickly because she was huge. And she wasn't starting 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 and and I'm climbing the walls and I'm climbing the walls and I'm driving her crazy. And finally the doctor said, I want you to come in on such and such a date. You come in early that morning, and if you haven't started labor, we're going to introduce you that day. So she hadn't gone. So we went in about seven o'clock, and they admitted her and got her all settled around eight. And they were going to introduce her, induce her, about nine or ten. And at eight o'clock, she started in labor, and she was laying in the labor bed, but they hadn't done a thing. She started into labor. Well, I got to be in there this time. And uh, I'm standing up by her head, and she's got a hold of each one of my hands, and I thought I was never going to be able to use them again for the rest of my life. I am serious as I can be. I didn't know she had that kind of strength. I was in pain. I was thankful every time one of those contractions stopped because she would let up on my hands then, and they hurt. And I'm up at the head, but they got to it arranged so I can watch through a mirror. I guess that's why I didn't pass out, because it was a mirror. But from the time his head appeared, it took her 20 minutes just to push his head out. And when his head came out, and there was nothing but his head out of her body, he cried. I didn't know that was possible. But when that happened, all of a sudden it was like somebody flipped a switch. And those people started rushing around. And the next thing I know, that doctor is sticking his hands inside and pulling, working shoulders out to pull him out. And I'm going, well, I don't think that's normal.
1: <laughs> and he was
0: 10 pounds and one ounce. And I make the stoop one in my life. I says to her, I say to her as if she had no idea at all, Alice, you really, honestly, I. that's really dense. As if she was an observer and didn't know that. But I said to the doctor, after it was all settled down and, and it appeared that they calmed down, that he was okay, I said, did I hear what I thought I hear, heard? He said, what was that? He said, I I said, did that baby cry with his head out? He said, yeah. He said, there are times that a child, a child's desire to breathe is greater than the pressure that's pushed against his lungs While still inside the womb. And the same contractions that would birth him normally would suffocate him to death if we didn't get him out. Because those contractions were lasting two and three minutes and that baby couldn't have held his breath that long and he would have died. And God does give people the Holy Ghost before being baptized. But they need to experience the birth of the water as quick as possible. I received the Holy Ghost and it was baptized that night. It's not the normal pattern. The normal pattern is you repent and you're baptized and you receive the Holy Ghost. But... After telling a story, I had no intention or thought that it would even remotely fit here. I'm saying to you that as best as it was possible for me to experience, vicariously, to a limited degree, I experienced labor and it giving life to our two sons. As a male, I have never felt so insignificant in my entire life to have had such a small part in that and to be essentially unnecessary when it was all happening. I have made the statement, and I mean it with everything in me. It is an absolute mystery to me how a woman could willingly go through that the second time. The first time you've heard stories, but it's like everything else, till you've experienced it. Somebody needs to be listening, because if you think I'm rambling, you don't have a clue. But after you've experienced it, and you know how difficult and traumatic it is, and both of my daughters-in-law have have had much longer labor. You go, how does the human body survive that? All for the purpose of assuring that the human race has a chance to survive. How do you how do you do that? How do you survive that? But after you've experienced it once, how could you how can you willingly go through that again? Except that Jesus says, while a woman is in travail, she has sorrow. But after the child is born, she forgets the sorrow. For joy that a man is born into this world. So here we are. My, we have gone through a time of presenting ourselves to the Lord that He could revive us. We have sought God to help us forgive every grudge. We have sought God to help us to repent of every sin. We've repented of our iniquities. We've given up our will, our control to God. And and then we we have participated in plowing the ground and breaking up the resistance, the spiritual resistance to the seed, finding a lodging place in lives so that it can grow. And we did that Wednesday night. And then And then we we learned how to speak the word of faith and experience speaking the word of faith as the seed grows because that's God's part. And we're not supposed to be passive, but we're not directly involved in that because he's the one that gives increase. But that standing in the field after God's done all his part, his whole plan either finds value Or becomes worthless depending on whether or not he can get laborers to go harvest it. And why is it that we don't go to the field? Because we do not, we skip over the travail that produces the latter rain. That brings us up to the place of death. So that we can go into the field, not seeking anything for ourselves, but just participating. You see, because the last of the seven Palestinian rains to produce the winter wheat crop, because they only grow wheat in the winter, the last of them comes in the spring. And it begins like a woman's travail. Start and stop, start and stop, start and stop and then it becomes a little more consistent and then you go through periods of downpour until it crescendos according to what I read right around the time of the Passover when he was crucified. So the cross is not the place of death. It's the culmination of everything leading up to that point. Because we know biblically and medically that the cross did not kill him. The cross was the place of death. It was not the cause of death. If a forensic pathologist had done an autopsy on Jesus' body, he would not have said, Jesus died from bleeding to death from wounds in his hands and feet. The clue that we're given in the scripture is after he was slumped over and they thought he was dead. Even though the problem is most people being crucified don't die from crucifixion. They die from asphyxiation. Because in this position the collarbone Are pushed together and they pinch the esophagus so that you cannot breathe because you're slumped down. The pain is so great, you kind of go unconscious a little bit. But then your body needing to breathe revives the consciousness. And you pull down on the nails in your hands, push up on the nail in your feet, scraping your back along that rough timber to get a breath. And the pain is so great, you pass out again. But men would hang there 24, 36, 48 hours before they died. That's why they broke their legs to speed it along. So they couldn't push up and get a breath. So they would finally die of asphyxiation. He'd only been there six hours. There's no way he died of asphyxiation. But before they could declare him dead, they need evidence. The soldier took the spear, put it right there, and the King James describes it as blood and water, because blood that's allowed to sit coagulates and separates. The red blood cells from the plasma. What looks like water. And we get another clue. Because in the travail, the finalizing of his travail in the garden. He was under such strain in the travail of birthing our salvation. That he sweat as it were great drops of blood. And medically speaking, the only way you sweat blood like that is that there's such a strain on the heart that it ruptures and bleeds into the walls, into the pericardium, which is the sack that surrounds the heart. He did not die from the cross. He died on the cross of a ruptured heart. And the proof is that when it came out, that blood had been sitting in that pericardium for so long that it had coagulated. Jesus wept three times over that last few weeks or a month or so before his crucifixion. He was on his way to Jerusalem for that trip that was going to culminate in his crucifixion. He knew that. But he did a bypass journey because of a call to Bethany because his friend Lazarus was sick and he waited till his friend Lazarus died so he could show the power of God in resurrection as a foreshadowing of his resurrection. was the purpose of Lazarus' resurrection, as an advanced testimony of God's ability to resurrect the dead, and everybody knew Lazarus had been resurrected. It, this, that very act alone, precipitated an increased activity of the plans of the priests to find some way to take him and kill him, because he's now gotten really dangerous Because everybody knew Lazarus. They knew he had died. He was dead for days. And he Jesus resurrected him. And he is now the most dangerous man to their traditions. And so, knowing what was going to happen. He didn't weep for Lazarus. He wept because he had spent time at that house. When the message came, they said, Lazarus is your friend. Mary, his sister, had traveled with them. Martha, his other sister, who was obviously the older sister, was the hostess of the house. I don't know where the mother was. She's never mentioned. Their dad was... Simon the Pharisee, who got leprosy. The same Pharisee who who invited Jesus to his house. But condemned him the whole time he was there. And there was a a harlot that got in that house. There's no way that harlot could get in that house unless she was related to the family. Because they were Pharisees. And that was Mary of Bethany. And Jesus insulted Simon to the greatest degree possible. Because he compared the conduct of Simon the Pharisee toward him with his harlot daughter. Out of whom seven devils were cast. Because just as Jesus was Jesus of Nazareth. Born in Bethlehem, Mary Magdalene and Mary of Bethany are the same person. Oh, they had another brother. His name was Judas. Quite a family, wasn't it? I don't have time to give you all the scripture for that, but it's not a hard proof. So here he comes. He spent time with his family. That Pharisee got leprosy. And Jesus showed that he loved in spite of the way he was treated because he healed Simon the Pharisee who became a follower. He had a relationship with everybody in that house. They all knew him. It was one of his normal stopping places where he could find rest and someone and people would prepare a home-cooked meal rather than one over a fire someplace. And yet, while they had faith that he could have healed him, they didn't have faith for him to resurrect him. And so, the beginning of travail started. Jesus wept. He wept over their unbelief. He wept over how hard it was for them to believe His words. And then He turned around in spite of their unbelief and said, roll the stone away, let's just come out of there. And somewhere on that journey as He neared Jerusalem, He was on a mountain. Overlooked that city. And being God in the flesh. He knew what they were going to do to him. But he knew what was coming in 70 AD. Because of that. And so he wept over them. Travail over them. Oh Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Thou that stonest the prophets and killest them to sin unto you. How often I would have gathered you together as a to hint other chicks, but you would not. And now there's only judgment coming. Judgment's coming now. Judgment's coming now. He didn't gloat over their judgment. He wept over their judgment. And then he has the last supper. What do we call the last supper? And he taught them the final lesson, chapters fourteen, fifteen, sixteen or John or one lesson, it was the last teaching he did with the apostles' the disciples before he went out to the garden to pray. And he went out there in his birthing time now. He felt the first bit of labor pain out there in Bethany, outside Lazarus' tomb, and he, he felt the next strength of travail come in while he wept over that city That God says he loves. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Which. If there's anybody in this room. That does that regularly. I'd be shocked. There may be one or two. But then. After he's done all that teaching. And he goes out to an olive garden. A garden on the Mount of Olives. And. And. Nine of them, no excuse, eight. One had already left. Eight of them go so far, but it's late. It's been a very strenuous journey, and they're tired. And he takes the the three that he thought were the most with him, the most that understood that understood the most—Peter, James, and John—and they took. He took them a little farther, and he said, "Pray here with me. Watch with me. It's the hour of temptation." It wasn't temptation to lust. It was the hour of trial. This is it. This is the moment. The baby's either going to be born or the baby's not going to be born. And we know he went through three major episodes of travail. And each time he would come back and say, and find them asleep and say, What? Couldn't you watch with me one hour so that you don't fall into temptation? And then finally it was over. And he acted like the most placid lamb from that point forward. He didn't resist, he didn't fight, he didn't fuss, he only said a couple of things. Before he was put on the cross, and he died there. And I'm reading, beginning with Isaiah fifty two, verse thirteen. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished or astonished at thee. Why? Because his visage was so marred more than any man. And his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see. And that which they had not heard they shall consider. Isaiah 53, 1. That's the next verse. Who hath believed, I report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him. Is a tender plant and is a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him. And the Lord hath laid on him. The iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So openeth he not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off. Out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul into death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession. For the transgressors. That was the travail. But here's the birth. The very next verse. Psalms 54.1. What it's said here. Is the result of all that's been said. Sing O Baron, Thou that didst not bear. Break forth in singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child before now. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord, enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of this happening thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes, for thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed. Neither... Be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. For thine maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit. As a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith the Lord. And Paul said in Galatians chapter four, that we're the, we're the children of the church, the new Jerusalem, which is the mother of us all. And I and Zion Isaiah said, As soon as Zion travails I brought forth her children. Going back to the harvest analogy. or, uh, Yes. To receive the harvest, there can't be any rain. And rain is a blessing of God upon us. So something has to transition. We're willing, we're getting to, go, willing to go into harvest and reap with everything we've got. Even though there's nothing Directly in it for us, but the privilege of being a part of the culmination of His plan in the earth. I need my wife and my daughter-in-law to come to the platform, please. I need two microphones. Whoever has the uh, screen, I've got the yellow one that says bishop and the white one that says solo. Come over here, please. I have travailed on occasion. I travail today. But it is not my normal ministry. It has to be a direct work of God for me to do so. But there is about to be an impartation of the ministry of travail in this place that's not going to stop at these walls. Everywhere everybody is that's willing to receive this so that we can go to travail and prepare for harvest. God's giving it. Don't force something. Don't make something up. But as the Spirit of God begins to go through this place, In Jesus' name, I'm not commanding. I am begging you, yield to the Holy Ghost. Sisters, I need volume on these mics, please. on the body of Christ in the earth. I command that the spirit and ministry of travail be loosed on the body of Christ.
1: name oh, no. Jesus name yeah. Oh yes Lord yes Lord
0: we're yours Jesus
1: we're
0: yours Jesus
1: Slowly, gradually That will begin to shift
0: Into more normal tongues Don't shift on purpose Don't give up But as it begins to shift, it's okay You're not doing something wrong
1: if it begins to shift into normal tongues.
0: lo lo do do korata tabahi ti hai kala rata hai ti hai la rata tata kahai ti hai khai hai hai kala rata tata hai ti hai Ye kia kalahratatahaya. In the name of Jesus. 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 Ye kia kula rotolorotobukuta. Ye kia kalahratatahaya. Now, this isn't it. This is just the Lord's moving you into something. When you get home, maybe later tonight, I don't know. But we are in a season of travail because God is ready to birth, begin to do the harvest He promised. And we are not qualified to go to the field till we participate in travail. Now, I realize there are some of you here You just don't know how to connect with that. That doesn't make you something wrong with you. There are some people that I know that are powerful warfare intercessors that just don't know how to yield to travail intercession. And that's okay. That's okay. Some are more powerfully used than one and the other. And that's okay. I don't want anybody leaving here feeling something's wrong with you. Unless, of course, there is. Because if in your spirit, you're just going, boy, this is a bunch of stuff. What is this all about? Well, I'm not sure there's any hope for you. Without a major change change of attitude. I said this the first night. There isn't anything that's been done or said this entire week I'm not prepared to defend with multiple scriptures. That is if the Bible matters to you. It's the final authority of my life. It tells me what to think, what to believe. Period. A lot of people judge the Bible by people. Well, that's a good person, so surely they've got to be right. And I know this is not exactly what they do in practice and all that, but surely they're a good person. So we're going to discount the plain teaching of the Scripture because my friend here has got to be If God's going to save anybody, he's got to save him. That's the fatal flaw. The Bible only judges us. We don't judge the Bible by people. Because if you judge the Bible by people, you will find that every preacher is going to make some mistake that will give you an excuse to not follow him. God will see to it to remind you he's just a vessel now when i was a young preacher the elders told me you, 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 you know you, you can't ever admit you got a problem you can't ever admit in the pulpit that you got a struggle you, i'm sorry i don't i'm not disrespecting my elders you ready i'm going to be in trouble for this word that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard like we're pastoring a bunch of people that are dumb and they, they're they not spiritual enough to read and discern when you've got a problem, you don't have to get up there and empty your entire laundry basket. But it helps them to know that your life isn't perfect, but that you're working through it by the grace of God. Now, again, I'm not saying ever just get up and empty the whole thing. No but this is an earthen vessel and I'm not pretending it's a gold pot. So, so, uh, what was this that just happened here? Her husband came because he is her covering, direct covering. He also is the one that praised the covering and protection over her Against a counterattack. That's an important point. An individual asked me last night, she said, My pastor's not here, and, and I, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do about travailing. And I said, First of all, You need to go sit with your pastor, tell him what you're feeling, and ask him what he's comfortable with and to let him know that if at any point in the service that you're flowing in a direction that he's uncomfortable with, please stop me. I want to do things decently in order. I want to be submitted to authority. Because the most one of the most foolish things in the world you can do is participate in the spirit world without the covering of authority. If you answer to nobody... you might ought to stick to Pentecostal praying. Just making sure your sins are forgiven... and your needs are prayed for. Because if you get involved in the Spirit at all... you are going to get hurt. Because you don't have authority... Unless you're under authority. And nobody who has no one that they have to answer to and that that person can tell them no has biblical authority. And if they're exercising authority, they're exercising usurped authority. Because the only way you can get authority is to be in submission to someone with authority. And that person doesn't have authority. Nobody, nobody... No preacher gets authority directly from God. There are men here today, tonight, been here this week. At one point there was three of them out of seven. They're part of an external board. Every one of them is an apostle. Every one of them is a bishop. And they can tell me no and I will listen. And they have done it because we've had this structure in place since 1990. Because I got tired of being uncovered and realizing how vulnerable I was because I'm trying to do something that requires authority and I didn't have any authority because I didn't have anybody that could tell me no. And before you ask me to be your bishop, I'm telling you right now, the answer is probably going to be no. Because God's going to have to tell me, He's going to have to initiate the yes before I say yes. Because I don't take this unto myself. I didn't make me this, I didn't seek for this. I'm not being unkind. There are some great, great men in this movement. are truly submitted to God's authority and they are men of God and they have authority and uh, there's plenty to go around there really is you may not know it but there is so that's one thing here okay as I'm winding this down you think already if God wants to do more it's his business but he hadn't told me more now Both warfare and travail are extremely mentally and emotionally and physically taxing. And there is a type of prayer in the spirit that you have got to learn. Some of you already know what that is. You are giving out spiritually. The spirit of the Lord is taking. Using your earthen vessel. It's mental, emotional, physical energy. And along with that ministry, pouring you out. If you don't give him a chance to put it back. Because in the will of God, you will never be in deficit to what he asked you to do. You hear what I just said? In the will of God, you will never be in deficit with what he said. Now my feet hurt. And I'm not ready to go run a marathon. Of course, on any day, I wouldn't be ready to go run a marathon. But if you think I'm tired, I'm really not. If this meeting was another three days, let's do it. I'm not boasting in me. I'm telling you what God can do. And what do I do when I'm not with you? And sometimes when I'm with, you, I'm with you, if you know what I'm doing, I'm praying, rest the refreshing tongues. You can put it on the screen for me, please. Isaiah 28, 11, and 12. This is a very specific type of tongue, and it does a specific type of work. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said... This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest and this is the refreshing and yet people won't hear it. When God has provided it for you it is an impossibility to get burnt out doing the work of God as a preacher or a saint if you learn to let him put back. And therefore Paul said I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. And much of the time he spoke in tongues, he prayed this. And about probably 50 to 60% of the time during the day that I'm speaking in tongues, I'm praying this. And there's always a shift in the spirit if it moves into something else. Now, I needed this when I was 25. But at 71 and a half, I can't do this without a supernatural impartation of rest and refreshing. And it's easy to get. All I have to do is receive it. It is the least emotional of all tongues. It's the least demonstrative of all tongues. And it is the one time in all of this ministry, that I am not flowing out. I'm simply letting Him flow in and put back. And put back. And uh, many of you already know how to do this, and so I'm not going to tell you not to do it till after I've done it. But if you don't know, it's not the tongue, but it, sa- it feels, sounds something like this. And if you're questioning, if the validity of this, if you'll just focus your spirit, God will bear witness with you that this is Him. ramaya. <laughs> Yei <tries> ki ga ta sai Haraba kasai Die ko rara ta ta mai Die ko I talk in tongues like that on an airplane and people don't ever hear me doing it. I've walked down the mall praying in tongues like that and nobody would even know it. During a service it looks like I'm just sitting there uninvolved but if you look really close if you got eyesight that good you'll watch my lips moving because I'm almost never at any moment in a service that I'm not either praising or confirming in English or praying in tongues. Most of the time, it's that tongue it's just giving me strength and rest and refreshing. But during the service, sometimes it'll shift and I'll pray and I can pray very powerfully without it being distracting because it's not in divine order to do that at the point so I'm not trying to distract so it can shift it can shift but a lot of times I can sit right there and the the way the spirit is moving will tell me of shifts that's coming because I'll begin to feel that shift in my tongue and if I just wait on it wait on it all of a sudden there's a shifting moving in the auditorium among the people why? why? Because if you walk in the spirit, Paul said, we should live in the spirit. Galatians 5. I don't want to just walk in the spirit. I want to live in the spirit. And if I'm living in the spirit, that means even if I'm asleep, the spirit of God is flowing in and out. Because he said pray without ceasing it. Pray without ceasing doesn't mean when you're awake. And I want that connection to be there. I want that connection to be there. Brother Wright, what about bad dreams? What? What are you talking about? Do people have bad dreams? I guess if you're religious you may have bad dreams but the Lord gives me sleep and I'm not worried about the devil showing up at the foot of my bed a couple times he's tried that and you I've heard other men say this it's true you wake up and go oh it's you back to sleep seriously yeah I'm not gonna let him steal my, my rest because he wants to pay, pay, play patty cake all night long. A rebuke in Jesus name! Rebuke in Jesus name! Rebuke in Jesus name! Patty cake! Patty cake! Patty cake! Patty cake! Men of God. watch for it be sensitive to it i'm saying it there's a change that's taking place in the atmosphere of those places that will welcome it and god has taken us into a place of the spirit deeper than we've ever been before not because of me not because of here not because of this but because of his choice and his timing And you need to help people understand what's happening to them. Because if, if the spirit begins to move in prayer and somebody goes off into warfare or they go off into travail, it's so out of the ordinary for them. It's frightening. And the devil wants to convince them to stop it. But you need to be there with instruction helping them to understand that's okay. That's that's God. Let that go. It'll lift. You'll be okay. One of the most dramatic experiences of my entire life. Must have been about 1976 or so. I picked up Brother Billy Cole from the airport. I don't know how the guy survived me. Literally. From the time he got in the car, one more question, Brother Cole. One more question, Brother Cole. One more question. <coughs> Back then, you couldn't afford hotels, so he stayed in our house, and that was even worse for him because I wouldn't let him go to bed till he insisted, <coughs> and he got no break at the breakfast table. Another question, Brother Cole. Another question, Brother Cole. <coughs> I don't want to. I don't know what it was about this particular trip, but. God had been really stirring me up and i I'd, I'd been studying intercession, but I didn't <laughs> and I but I didn't I didn't know what it was all about. I didn't understand it and I didn't know how to get in it and I didn't know what to do about it. And and when I was twenty two years old the Lord helped me. I'd had the Holy Ghost ten years and only spoke spoke in tongues about once or twice a year, and I didn't enjoy that very much, to say the least. <clears throat> Because I had to go through the Pentecostal ritual to get there. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And finally, I'd speak in tongues. And I went through that every time. And the Lord finally was able to get through to me that speaking in tongues is a spiritual experience, not an emotional experience. It's not prompted by emotion. It's not powered by emotion, etc. It is prompted by the Spirit and powered by the Spirit. And so I learned how to yield to tongues whenever I needed to pray and didn't know what to pray. In this particular trip... Brother Cole got in the car, and I said, Brother Cole, I need to know about intercession. It was about a, back then, it was about a 40-minute trip from the from the airport to the house. And I just kept pressing, I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand. That's called a ringing phone. If you could help us with that, it would help. <laughs> just kidding. It's not the worst thing that's happened tonight, it's fine. <laughs> so I got in the car, I got in the car, okay? And, uh, or he got in the car, all the way home. And I could tell he was starting to get frustrated with me. And if you don't know Brother Cole or didn't know Brother Cole, he was capable of that. And you didn't know what was going to happen when you got him frustrated. And so we pulled up on the curb And he said, not gently, come in this house. I'm going to show you intercession. I'm tired of talking about it. Okay. I haven't always told that part. We walk up the sidewalk, walk in the front door. My wife greets us. He says, praise the Lord, Sister Wright, get on your knees. (laughs) She doesn't know anything that's been going on. He pointed at me, get on your knees. And he got on his knees. And he said, this is intercession. He threw up his hands and went, Ikasahata hatabaha. Ilu rubu
1: kusi intayakahasa I Madu yulubu rubu kusi itaye kasi itamukurubu kusataha itaiulu rubu kusata
0: And then he just said, that's intercession. What time's dinner? i never seen it like that in my life. i never seen it. I didn't even know that. Could, you, I didn't think you could do something like that. You can't just. Here, here's, here's the carnal, see. I, I didn't know you could just turn that on and off. You're not turning it on and off. It's there. You can yield, right? And so, he gave me this warning, and I'm I'm, I'm sharing this wisdom imparted by the apostle God. He said, "My wife has a ministry of intercession," and he didn't explain it this way exactly this way then, but I've come to understand what he was saying. Her ministry of intercession was to some degree emotion initiated, even though it was very real. He said, the problem my wife has is she is so consumed with the salvation of the lost, she doesn't want to do anything but weep and travail for souls. And I didn't know what to do she felt guilty if she ever laughed she felt guilty if she ever expressed joy he didn't he said i did not know she was destroying her health because she poured out it poured out it poured out and would never let god put back he said a few years ago he said we had to come home from the field we were out traveling as international evangelists and I took my wife to the doctor. And my doctor, the doctor examined my wife and he quoted the doctor. He said, my God, man, what have you people been doing? I have never seen an individual more emotionally and totally physically exhausted than this woman. Whatever she's doing, she's about to kill herself. And he said to me with tears, running down his cheeks, he said, Brother Wright, I just didn't understand. I didn't understand it was my responsibility to not let her do that all the time. It was my responsibility to make sure that she let God replenish all of that in her. Because we could no longer travel. She has never, and she never did. She never recovered. Well, here's the problem. In growing up in Pentecost, there were always intercessors. But they were not happy people. At least my childhood mine that's what I looked at. They were not happy people. Oh, they could pray, and they could pray with some depth. But they were not happy people. They were... Sad people all the time. They never had any joy. And it seemed almost to a sense that they lived in constant depression. Well, I gotta be honest with you. It didn't take me long before and after the Holy Ghost. I don't want to be like that. No, not that. I'm not, I don't live like that. I'm not living like that. And most of us have had a similar experience of that. We don't want to be like that. But we don't understand. It's not just the words that aren't ours. The feelings aren't ours. All we are is a conduit for the words, His words, His feelings. Whether it's authority in warfare or grief and sorrow of, the grief and sorrow of travailing birth. It's not grief and sorrow because he feels sorry for people. Oh, it's so sad they're lost. No, it's the grief and the sorrow of a person that's in travail bring coming to the birth. And one of the most well-known verses, Psalms 126 verse 5 and 6, He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You cannot eliminate tears from the process and have God's results. You cannot eliminate travail from the process and have God's results. You can Get all your presentation lined up. Here I am again, ready? You can get all your presentation set up. You can get all the lights just right. You can ever get everything so it looks perfect on camera. Now I'm not talking about a place being a slob, a dump, that's not what I'm talking about. But you can get all that set up, get all your programs set up, get everything taken care of. And you eliminate tears from it, and it's a sham. I am well aware that there are situations where for the health of the baby or the health of the mother, the travailing process is bypassed. And they take the baby by caesarean section. I'm aware of that. I'm also aware of this fact. That rather than that being an easier way for the mother, it's harder for the mother. And the recovery process for the mother is much more difficult. And in many churches, because we're bypassing travail, about the only children that are birthed are birthed by spiritual Caesarean section. And mothers just... The mother, the church, just doesn't get over that very easy. While travail is difficult while you're going through it, it is God's process. It is God's plan It is God's purpose. Why? Because the price of that baby, having that baby so high, that when that baby gets here, all of a sudden, most mothers don't have a problem with the fact that all of a sudden, this child has rearranged their life. Completely. Nothing is the same. After you bring that child into your home. And we want to have. Revival and harvest. And it not affect us. If you're not willing. For God's harvest. To completely change. You individually and as a body to take care of that harvest you don't need a harvest you don't need one and I've got one daughter-in-law that had four I've got another daughter-in-law that had three we had two but they were nine years apart my wife and I, especially me, had no way to relate to the eldest who had one a year and a half after the first one, a second one two years after the, a third one the two years after the second one, and a fourth one two and a half years after the third one. Literally. Exactly. Year and a half, two, two and a half years. And to watch <laughs> adding two the second one to one that changes a lot of stuff i'll never forget the day we brought esther the second child home my wife was helping with elizabeth the oldest and so angie and david came to to the house with right after the birthing center with uh esther And my wife brings one and a half year old Elizabeth into the room to see her sister. And these, I'll never forget them. These are the first words out of that one and a half year old's mouth My blanket. Her sister was wrapped in her blanket. And what was in the blanket was of no consequence. What are you doing with my blanket? And so she instantly understood the change. Well, nobody was ready for the change that number three would be. Especially when the first two were girls and the third one was a boy. It didn't take him long to realize he was male. And they were not. and that Somewhere in him, he was supposed to be in charge. Oh, God. And number four comes along, and he's a male. And this dynamic is whatever. And I thought it was difficult when they were all young, and most of them were still in diapers. But a year or so ago, there was they were all four teenagers in the same year. Actually, they did pretty well, I think, or their parents really kept the problems to themselves. Well, nine years later, the second family comes along, and the youngest of the first family is 14, and this oldest of the second family is 10, so we got a gap, and so there's the first one, and so, okay, we see the change again, whole household changes, and Then the second comes along and everything changes again. Well, those first two were girls. And this two, after watching that two, made up their mind, we're not having but two. It's really kind of a funny thing to watch how God responds to you making pronouncements. because they were in Singapore in the last few months of Brother Willoughby's life. And they were there doing a youth meeting. And they happened to go by the house to see Brother Willoughby because we've known them a while. All the family does. We all love the Willoughby's very much. And uh, they went by the house to see Brother Willoughby. And he was in such pain. He was so heavily medicated. And when they walked in the house, he wasn't really there. And then all of a sudden, something happened and he became totally lucid. And I don't, I'm not probably not telling the story exactly right. But he said, how many children do you have? They said, two. He said, what are they? They said, girls. And he said, that's strange. This morning... In prayer, I saw you holding two, three-year-old little boy. And he's going to be born. And here's what's going to happen. And while you're expecting him, they're going to find problems with him while he's in the womb. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. And this is going to happen and whatever. Well, a couple of weeks or so, month or so after they got back from Singapore. There was a little while there and uh mom, dad, we 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 need to talk to you. Okay. Well we'd had that conversation, I remember that exactly. Four times right over here. Mom, Dad, we need to talk to you. And already two times here, Mom, Dad, we need to talk to you. And my wife are looking at it and I were looking at each other going Okay, so much for only having two. And it happened every specific detail Brother Willoughby gave happened exactly like he said. So everything must have been wonderful. No. No, it was, it was difficult for a while. A lot of families go through difficulty when the third one's added to the mix. Because you don't think it'll be much different and it changes, I don't know why, it changes all the dynamics. And I went through that long story to tell you this. Any church that's not willing to change To take care of what God reaps does not have any business having harvest. Oh, that's right. We don't have harvest anymore. We just learn how to market our church and build crowds. Because it's easy to take care of a crowd. All you have to do is entertain it and not expect much from it and keep the money flowing in. I know that's sarcastic, but I'm too tired to be very good at it. Huh. My, 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 my. This was so amazing to me, okay? We're going along here, it feels like there's nothing happening. Let's check and see if there's something happening. Why don't you just begin to pray? Whatever level you can pray. Let's just tap in to what may or may not be going on here right now. Yeah. Yeah, let's just tap in. Let's see if all of this has just been rambling or if it's been impartation and instruction from the Holy Ghost. Come on. Come on. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. My. My. Woo! Ita ha la bakosaiki ecala ra da ta ta ha. Ti La La rute rote Jesusiti ecala ta ha. Woo! I glorify you, Father. I praise you, Father. I honor you, Father. I praise you, Father. I glorify you, Father. I honor you, Father. My, my 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 Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Ha Yes, Lord, we're listening. Yes, Lord, we're yielding. Yes, Lord, we're yours. Yes, Lord, do with us as you choose. Yes, Lord, do with us as you choose. the In the name of Jesus. Now I, I I need to say a couple of things and we're we're done, okay. First of all, I announced today that there will be a meeting next year. It will not be called Call to War. God has finished His purpose in this meeting. As of not too long after this service. Is over with or maybe tomorrow morning. The seventh of these seven sessions will be available on apostoliciron.com. And you can watch all seven of them. Every session's all available, including last year. It's all available. We are going in a deeper direction next year. Because some want to make this all about fighting devils. Jesus said, don't rejoice because the devil's a subject to you. Rejoice because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But rejoice because other names are being written in the Lamb's book of life. Warfare and travail are means to an end. And the end is harvest. A couple of times I have had the responsibility to officiated funerals of stillborn babies that were alive up until one of them was alive up until a few about an hour before the birth and they were alive healthy full term babies but they died in the womb before birth and all of those nine months every throwing up session every changing of the size of the clothes every backache every difficulty suddenly lost its value and everything we've done this week and talked about is of no value if there's no harvest pray all you want intercede warfare intercede travail Sow gospel seed everywhere. But if there's no harvest, there's no value. Because the purpose is not fulfilled. My wife actually was pregnant the third time, it was her first pregnancy. She was raised in a preacher's home. She swore to herself she would not marry a preacher. And even though she knew I was called to preach, she, I, was, she, I was in the Navy. And I hadn't graduated long when we got married. And so she knew she had five years to go before it was even an issue. She was expecting. My wife loves babies. And one of her own was like a dream come true. But she was fussing with God because I hurt my shoulder, and I was on limited duty. And she knew what was coming. They were going to medically retire me, and I was going to preach. And this was the worst thing that could have happened to her. She's about five, five and a half months long. And she wakes me up and says, something's happening. I rush her to the hospital. And I have to sit out waiting to find out. They came out and said, Mr. Wright, I'm sorry to tell you, we lost the baby we're going to keep her overnight you can come say goodnight but then you need to go home so I went and said goodnight she was really kind of out of it from all the the, uh, trauma and I came back early the next morning she was laying in the bed with tears running down her face I said, what's wrong? She said, the Lord just spoke to me and said, now are you ready to go? Now are you willing to do my will? It was many years before she felt able to tell me that wasn't a baby we lost. It was a son. I have four granddaughters. I love them to death but I never wanted anything but boys and I wanted them for one purpose because I believed that every son God gave me was going to be a man of God that just was my faith whoa I'm trying to stop So, um, there will be a meeting next year, whoever comes. It will be the Tuesday through Thursday, Friday after Thanksgiving. It's the most convenient, inconvenient time there is. Because almost nobody schedules a meeting that week. But it's far enough from Christmas. Christmas. That it's a dead week anyway. Oh, what well, we decorate then. Oh, that's a good reason to stay from a way home from an apostolic meeting. Please do. If decorating that week is your priority. You can decorate the week before Thanksgiving. I don't care. Decorate next week for us. I'm concerned. Big deal. But we are at a place where we've got to have a time and place where we come together. To just see where God takes us in preparing us for what he's going to do. Now, I have been working on a study that is full of all of this stuff. I do not have it finished. And I'm going to horrify the brother who works with me editing. For the next seven days if you will email adam at apostoliciron.com if we get your email before midnight next Friday night I will send you both parts one and parts two of that document in its unfinished form. It's not finished. It's not finished. But You can get it, look through it however you want and it won't cost you a thing. I have never done this before. This is what the Lord told me to do. Whether you're here or listening online or you listen to somebody, they listen to these over the next seven days. If they email after that, uh, between now and midnight, next Friday night, you will not only get, Documents in the condition that they will be in as of that day, <laughs> brother Ellenberger. Thank you. And uh, but they'll, whatever condition they're in, you understanding you are not getting finished documents. Uh, you will also get every significant update in those documents until they're finished, and there won't be any cost to you. I normally give this give this stuff away. It's not mine. But the Holy Ghost told me, not this time. Now, the funds aren't for me. Not for me. Most of us don't appreciate what we get for free. Just look at how we treat the Holy Ghost. So, after that night, no matter who you are, if you, we will not release these documents after that night in any form except the finished form, and there will be some charge. And all of that money goes back into our media ministry for live streaming and producing material and all that. So. The purpose of the charge will not be profit. I'm not one of those preachers that can say, I don't take any money from this church because I live off the sale of my books. Yeah, and who pays all the money for the TV programs where you advertise your book? Hypocrisy. It's just hypocrisy. Give me a break. They just think, we, they, they, they think we're all so stupid. We can't figure that out. So anyway, why is this important? Because this week has been seed sowing. I am a seed sower. I I can't tell. There's not one thing I've said this week that I read in somebody else's book. Not one single statement. Every bit of this God has given me, and He's given it to me over a lifetime of prayer and study and pain. And I don't expect anybody here to get all of this because someone stood in front of you and said it. It's a process. And so it is seed that's been sown. And the whole idea of what happens with that seed is up to you. Because if you choose to take the seed and nurture it and let it grow in you and go back and study and look it up stuff for yourself, do not take what I have said in this pulpit at any point this week without examination. Do not take it. Well, I trust Brother Wright. Don't. Don't trust any preacher that you don't go check the book to see what he's saying. Don't. And any preacher that wants you to take what he says at face value and never ever go check the book on him, don't trust that man. And I got booked for that. And any preacher that stands before you and implies that you should take every word he says without question. Are you kidding me? The most important tool you've got to get closer to God is questions. Because your questions will send you to your knees. And your questions will send you back to the book. And if you really truly want to, God's answer for those questions, you will get them because they're in the book and He's willing to tell you. But we've gotten lazy. We want somebody to do all the work and give us the answers. But we don't receive those answers. We forget them before we get out of the parking lot. So, no matter what you think of this meeting, what God's done here this week, There will be no lasting value for you if you don't care enough to take what has been taught. Maybe you go back and listen again now where you can stop the recording and write your own thoughts down. Write your own notes. Whatever you want to do is fine. But somewhere, somehow, The goal is that you will so give yourself over to studying the Word and spending time in the presence of God and with His Spirit of revelation that by the time it fully takes root in you, it will be yours and nobody else's. You're not doing like somebody else. You're doing what God has taught you to do. And the hope is You'll even forget where and when the seed was sown so that only God gets the glory. That's the goal. That's the goal. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Father, There's none like you in the universe. No one loves like you. No one cares like you. No one cares for us like you do. No one wants the best of the best for us like you do. No one, Father. And I thank you for this opportunity to spend time in your presence. And I thank you for the undeserved privilege to just be your conduit. Thank you, Father. And I pray, Father, that the number of conduits you have is multiplied beyond our ability to count so that your voice can be heard throughout the earth, that you will have conduits who are a part of your body all through the earth that you can speak in every place that you can bring salvation through your spoken word and confirming that word with a demonstration of your spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in Jesus name I thank you father I thank you for every person that has listened I thank you for every person that's listened here or otherwise. I thank you for every person that's glad. I thank you for every person that's mad. I thank you for every individual, Father, regardless of what their reaction has been to what's been said. I ask you, Lord, that not only the glad but the mad will go back to the book to try to prove this wrong. I ask you to give them the grace to do that, not to prove me wrong. But so at least in their study, you can communicate truth to them, your truth, not my truth, not anybody else's truth, but your truth, Father. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, once again I speak an angelic hedge of protection around every hearer. That the birds of the air, the demons of the atmosphere cannot and will not be able to come and steal this seed out of our hearts before this seed is able to find a lodging place and a place to germinate and begin to grow and ultimately mature until it produces fruit Through our lives to your glory. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I pray protection over this seed that you have sown. In our hearts and minds and spirits. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I speak your word of authority. As a covering. As an impartation of blessing. For protection in our travels. That you would be with us every step of the way, every mile of the way, wherever we live, wherever we're traveling to, that you would keep us and help us, that you would protect us, and that you would draw us ever closer to you every moment of the day, that you would speak to us in the night and speak to us in the day, that you would speak to us on the bed at the table, that you would speak to us riding down the road, that you would speak to us on our jobs in our homes when we're gathered together in a restaurant our friends. Speak to us Father. Let your word be more abundant than it's ever been. Speaking to our minds and hearts and spirits. Give us your grace to be able to recognize your rhema when it's delivered by your most normal means. Which is through a man of God who is speaking rhema as a conduit of you. Let us be willing to receive rhema like that. So that we can learn to recognize rhema when we finally begin to hear you speak to our spirits personally. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I give you the praise and all the honor and glory. I bless this people by the authority given unto me. I bless you in Jesus' name. I bless you going out. I bless you coming in. May the face of God shine upon you with his favor. May you give yourself completely to him and be fully his child and his fellow laborer and a harmonious part of his body to his glory. In Jesus' name, it is so, and let it be so. Amen. God bless you.